1: They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Net Zero. Most of us will have heard the phrase the balance between the carbon emissions emitted and the amount removed from the atmosphere. Well now, there's a new phrase that's hoping to do the same for biodiversity, even going beyond cancelling out our damage to the planet. Nature positive. It's a motto that's been everywhere at COP15, the UN's biodiversity conference in Montreal. Whether on posters, session headings, or businesses' marketing materials, it's the buzzword of the moment. But what does nature-positive actually mean?
1: I don't know. Don't
2: know. (laughs) Okay.
1: What's that? Nature-positive. Yeah. Yeah, it's still very, very, not very
3: clear. Plus nature. It's easy. Nature plus. Is it uh, like uh, being positive to nature or trying to protect biodiversity? Something like that?
2: And could it be turned into another greenwashing tactic? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Phoebe Weston, you're a biodiversity reporter with The Guardian, and you're currently at COP15. And from COP15, you recently wrote an article about this phrase that's everywhere at the summit, nature positive. Why has it become such an important phrase at COP15, do you think? I think it's a statement
0: of ambition and it's a really simple, positive phrase. People can kind of get on board with it. Like I'd like to live in a nature positive future. That sounds great. And if you think about one of the issues with this conference is that it's really, really complicated they're agreeing more than 20 targets. And I think Nature Positive was sort of seen as a unifying aim of the conference. And so lots of people have been promoting it as the North Star of COP15, like this is what we want.
2: It sounds like this phrase Nature Positive is kind of quite key to COP15. And there's even a Nature Positive pavilion, right? Basically, they have these big rooms and they're divided up into different
0: sections, which are called pavilions. It's like going to a careers fair. This is the nature-positive area. sounds like there's a talk on, so I'll take you round, but it's a big area. It's like the size of a big house, I would say. And on the outside boards, we've got some guy looking at coral, we've got a turtle, some other sea life, and then nature-positive in big letters. And then there's this really lovely wall with children's messages about what they think a nature positive future is which is lovely and these little cut out paper birds and people had written messages on them about what they wanted at cop 15 so it's this meeting point where people can come together
2: give talks have teas and coffees have a chat so nature positive is one of the biggest pavilions it's a key idea and people are going there to discuss it but at the same time phoebe Its meaning is still kind of eluding me. It sounds like it could be anything. What were people saying at the pavilion? This is a very good question.
0: And generally speaking, there's disagreement on what nature positive means. Loads of organisations who are using this term actually do frame it differently. And when I was there, I started just asking people what nature positive meant for them, because I was genuinely pretty confused by it. What does nature positive mean to you guys? An increase in biodiversity variation instead of a negative loss.
3: Uh, Nature positive, I think it's a pretty undefined term, actually, there's no clear definition by the CBD, I think. So nature positive for me, it means, uh, look, we are destroying everything, but we plant a few things on the other side.
0: What do you think it means?
3: I think it's an utopic idea that we cannot obtain I think that real nature positivity just means less material greed, less consumption, less economy in a way, or a completely different economy, but I'm not seeing that here around here.
2: So, nature positive could be a different economy, less consumption, bending the curve, ending up with more nature than when you started, And all that vagueness opens up a lot of space for greenwashing, making it sound as if you're doing more for the environment than you really are. It's time to pin it down, which is why I called E.J. Milner-Gulland, a professor of biodiversity at the University of Oxford, who's written about the idea of nature positivity. I asked her whether this pithy, powerful, but broad idea could be used to mean anything at all.
3: You know, there's lots and lots of terms out there that have become weakened or meaningless. And, for example, sustainability is a term that means anything to anyone, really. And that has been my worry, that people are starting to use it in a really loose way. So, for example, I've seen it used quite a lot by people who are talking about, oh, I'm going to do net zero for carbon and I'm going to be net positive. Or they'll say, I'm going to do net zero for carbon. I'm going to do it in a nature-positive way. That's the way people usually frame it. So, and the problem with that is when you interrogate what they mean by, and I'm going to do it in a nature-positive way, what they tend to say is, oh, well, we're going to do it in a way that's nice for nature. So we're going to do our climate change, but we're going to also have some nice things for nature. And I really think that that needs to be stamped on, because nature is not an addendum to sorting out climate change.
2: From what you're saying, it sounds as if we're venturing into the world of greenwashing, which is a big issue in the environmental movement. Is there a way to prevent this from happening?
3: We should all be standing firm and saying, OK, so you say you're nature positive. Where is your detailed reporting on what you've actually done for nature? Where are your quantifiable time-bound targets? And where is your plan for getting from A to B? I think also when companies say, I'm going to go net zero about climate change, there's sometimes the same problem because quite often they say they're going to do that and then they don't have a target. If they do have a target, it's a target that's so weak that it's going to make no difference at all.
2: Okay, so we need companies to have clear strategies on how they're going to reach nature positivity. And a big part of getting there with net zero is carbon offsetting. Could something similar be applied here? biodiversity offsetting.
3: The very first thing we need to do is try to avoid the impact in the first place. You can't avoid everything, otherwise you stop existing. Then you need to reduce your impacts. Once you've reduced as much as you can, then you need to think about how to restore the impacts that you've already had on areas. And then finally, the very last step is the offset.
2: So offsetting is where companies either prevent future losses or restore habitats to counteract the damage that they've already done. But how much can we actually do of the avoiding and the reducing before we have to resort to the offsetting?
3: As things currently stand in the systems we currently have, you are going to have to do a lot of offsetting, at least in the short term. So, for example, for Oxford, under their current biodiversity strategy, which is a good one, Two-thirds of the biodiversity impact that they are currently having is going to have to be offset, even if you went really full-on with avoidance in a way that would not go down well with university staff. So in that case, we're going to have to have massive systemic change. It's going to be the whole of society, and it's going to be everything that we do, because if every single company tries to offset two-thirds of its impact, that's just not possible.
2: If companies do want to market themselves as being nature positive, what do you think the rules should be?
3: If people use the term nature positive, I'd like them to have measured their biodiversity impact as best they can. I'd like them to have a clear target for where they want to get to and a time at which they want to get there. I'd like them to have some actions they are going to undertake and to analyze how those actions will add up to get us to where they want to go. And then I would like them to to report on an annual basis. And then what the companies really, really need, and this is critical, is regulatory action. So you have the first companies coming on board saying, we're going to do it. And then the government needs to support them. They need to get the regulations in place. And that then will kind of give them the market advantages that they need that will make the laggards come on board. And I think one of the issues we've had with biodiversity, with nature, is that there hasn't been the kind of pressure for companies to come on board.
2: Phoebe Weston, we've just heard from EJ about the potential of Nature Positive as a concept. And the first step towards that is what's going to be agreed in Montreal that final text which is being negotiated as we speak. And one of the key goals that we've heard a lot about on the podcast for COP15 was 30 by 30, this commitment to protect at least 30% of land and sea by 2030. Does it look like there's going to be agreement on that one at least? I think that's one of the big
0: successes to come out of this conference is an agreement on 30 by 30. And that was very much the headline target. So that will be considered a success, I think. An issue here was about respecting indigenous rights within conservation areas. And I think the wording on that looks pretty strong. We need a strong agreement to stop biodiversity loss. All but two countries... In the world have signed the global biodiversity framework so the us and the vatican are the only countries which haven't signed this agreement but essentially we've got all of the countries in the world in one room talking about biodiversity loss and i think that's really important so phoebe looking forward to the next year what would you like to see i want to see action on this agreement Historically the UN biodiversity process has not been successful. The last time we had a big conference like this where 10 years of targets were being set was back in 2010. And the world collectively failed to meet any of the targets agreed. So this whole agreement will be totally pointless unless countries actually act on what's been agreed. So what I want to see is basically countries taking it seriously. And that one of the issues that they're trying to work on here is having some kind of system where you can check in on countries and make sure that they're doing what they said they would. And this is in light of the failure of the last decade of biodiversity targets the next meeting for the UN biodiversity is going to be in Turkey in two years time so that will be kind of will take stock of what's been achieved there and I think there's some additional stuff that needs to be agreed that will be done in Turkey it's been one big effort to get this signed and get it through but what's coming ahead is just as challenging
2: thanks again to EJ Milner Gulland and to Phoebe Weston Since we spoke, a historic once-in-a-decade deal has been struck. It includes that 30 by 30 target and a requirement for large and transnational companies to disclose their risks and impacts on biodiversity. One step closer to the nature-positive ideal. You can read about the dramatic final moments of the negotiations and all the progress that's been made on theguardian.com. Now, before you go, it's that time of year when I tell you about The Guardian and Observer's 2022 charity appeal. As the cost of living crisis pushes 14.5 million people below the poverty line in the UK, families across the country are facing a bleak Christmas period. Join us as we raise funds for charities working on the front line. All your donations will go to Citizens Advice and Locality. Supporting those who have been hit the hardest. Donate at theguardian.com forward slash charityappeal2022. That's theguardian.com forward slash charityappeal2022. And we've put a link to that on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. Thank you. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeleine Finlay. The sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. And the executive producers were Georgia Moody and Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
0: This is The
2: Guardian.
1: Looking for your next great podcast?